Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. A little bit of a recap on last week. How many of you were here last week? Oh, five of you. Fantastic. We had a great time in church last week. Um, we spoke about change for change. Based on the fact that the Bible says Jesus never changes, but we obviously do. We change a lot. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we change. And we spoke about a lot of change that is happening around us, but more importantly, the change that takes place within us. We spoke about how often the change that happens around us is sometimes the greatest influencer on the change that happens within us. But if we could switch that, if the change within us could be the greatest motivator for the change around us, that's how we see change in our cities. That's how we see change in our nation. Simon Peter, the Bible says, Jesus called him and said, come follow me and I will make you, I will change you from fishing for fish and I will change you to now fish for People, Why? Because when you change who you are, it also changes what you can do. And Simon Peter came from Simon, which means read and easily swayed. And Jesus says that you are now Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And Peter ended up becoming an incredible church builder, apostle, New Testament church writer, dynamic preacher. Because those raw ingredients were already in him, but it took Jesus to get them out of him. And as Peter, as Simon is changed into Peter, as Saul is changed into Paul, as Jacob is changed into Israel, as the change takes place within them, there is incredible change around them. And we spoke about in a changing society, let us be the people who can bring change rather than just be always influenced by the change. And and so we encourage you, to listen to that. If you missed that last week, you can listen to that on all major platforms. <laughs> Sounds cool, doesn't it? Including Spotify and Apple Music. And that's about it. <laughs> In essence, if you want to boil it down, we are a people who commit to change. And we are changing our church name and we are changing much of maybe our focus as a church, a lot of other things will remain the same because we are who we are. And ultimately, you know, we keep leading and we keep working together. And so a lot of things will remain the same, but maybe there'll be, there'll be slight changes to our focus and our priorities. And I encourage, and I was grateful to the church, and I said last week, if you missed it, we haven't had one, ne- one negative questioning anything, email, text, correspondence from everybody. Everybody has been so supportive. Now that might not mean you are all supportive, but it just means we haven't heard about it. And we also spoke about those thanking those three of you who had sent feedback in um, after requesting feedback. Well, after this week, guess what, guys? Drum roll, drum roll, because after asking for more feedback this week, we got three more pieces of feedback. (laughs) Double in a day. And so, uh, no, I'm just making a joke of it. We are grateful for everything who of you have been committed to embrace change. Because if it means becoming more Christ-like, if it means becoming more godly, if it means becoming more beneficial to the kingdom, how many of you know that's a good thing? 
And so we're not just changing because it's a cool thing to change. No, we're changing for kingdom's cause. We're changing for the sake of the kingdom. As we change who we are, it changes what we do. As we change who we are, it changes what we do. Another way of putting that is what I'd call roots and fruits. Okay, And this is really what I kind of want to speak about today. And the message of um, the title today is Change and Become. Change and Become. And we'll get to that verse in a moment. Because there are roots and there are fruits. I cannot change my fruit until I first change my root. Should we say that together? I cannot change my fruit until I change my root. Sounds simple, but we sometimes fail to see the impact of our roots into certain mindsets, into certain relationships, into certain places, and how they ultimately bring about fruits. And sometimes we look at the fruit and go, I don't like that fruit. There's no point just chopping off the fruit because the fruit will regrow unless you can first change the root. And so many of us want to change things about our lives, but it's not just changing aspects of the fruit. It's really getting to the grips of the root. If your root is not in Christ, you cannot grow more Christ fruit. (laughs) You can only grow in the fruits of the Spirit when you are rooted in the Spirit. And so if we want to grow in love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control, and they're things that we really want to grow in and change to become more like that, we have to go, well, how deep are we into the Spirit of God? And how committed are we to the root of the Spirit of God? Because wherever your root is, your fruit will follow. Wherever your root is, your fruit will follow. And I say that to go to the verse that we're reading today, which is in Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to read this in verse 1 to 3. And we're going to read it from the NIV version and then the Amplified version. It says in the NIV, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you what? Change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, saying, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Amplified Version puts it like this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and set him before them and said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless you repent, which basically means to change your inner self, your old way of thinking and your life changed and become like children. Why are children good to become? Because they are trusting, humble, (laughs) most of the time, (laughs) and forgiving. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus quite bluntly saying, all of us have to come to a point in our lives, even the disciples who have been walking with Jesus for nearly three years at this point. Okay, so let's just say they've had a good environment to be in. 
They've had good roots. And even Jesus is saying to them, unless you change and become, notice that, not just change, change into what? No, you've got to become something as a result of your change. Unless you change and become like little children, you will not inherit the kingdom or enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot of theology around that verse that we could go into maybe another time. In fact, maybe Stuart Innes, you could go into that next week for us um, about who and who can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, But today I really want to emphasize on that point. Change and become. From when Jesus starts his ministry, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, from when Jesus starts his ministry, it must have been an incredibly frustrating time for him at times. Because he was so far beyond everybody else. He was so far beyond their ability to love and their ability to be patient and their ability to be wise and their ability to be kind. It's like playing table tennis with somebody who can't play table tennis. It's very frustrating. I used to be a youth worker for many years. I used to play table tennis in a school. And it's, they used to say, can we play table tennis? It's like, oh, it's one of those things. Football, like, you can kick a ball. It's easy. But when they can't hit the ball, the ball falls and the ball bounces everywhere. And they get it again. They hit it miles away. It's like playing tennis on honeymoon. Oh, we won't go there, Abs. Um, it was an incredibly frustrating time for her because Abs is a fantastic tennis player. She's like Serena Williams. But it's like playing sport or playing some, and you're so far beyond them, and you're kind of, oh my gosh, like how long is this going to take for you to catch up to my level of ability? It must have been like that for Jesus at times, incredibly frustrating. Now, it helps being the Son of God. He had a good start, and he had an advantage. But many of the conversations that Jesus has, especially with his disciples, It's almost like you can sometimes see him putting his head in his hands, going like seriously, like, and graciously, but like, guys, over two years at this point, you've been walking with me, and you you still think a major question that is important is who's going to be the greatest? Like, this is really frustrating. Have you not learned anything? How are you still questioning Greatness. How are you still questioning hierarchy? How are you still questioning positions in heaven? You've been walking with me for two years and you still ask me, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And it's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what, disciples, there's still something wrong with the root of who you are. There's still something wrong with the root. And he calls a child over and says, unless you can change and unless you can become like one of these little children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's put it less, let's put it um, less more bluntly. Jesus is basically saying, unless you get rid of the ego and unless you get rid of your selfish desires and replace it with childlike humility, It's pointless what you are trying to do in the kingdom of heaven. Unless you can get rid of the ego and the selfish desires and the sense of me, me and more me, what we're doing this is pointless because they're at the root of the Christian faith is humility. That's why the Bible says in Philippines that Christ, Christ humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him. But at the root of our Christian faith, and one of the pursuits of the church that we're becoming, is that there is a humility amongst our church community. That there's not an ego. Well, who's the greatest in life church? Well, who's the greatest worship leader? Well, who's the greatest preacher? Well, who's the... It's, it's pointless, irrelevant, egotistical questions. That I know sometimes the flesh has a desire to know because we live in a kind of egotistically driven world or hierarchical driven world where there are league tables for things and there are top scorers and best performers in your workplace, in school, in sport and in business. But when it comes to church... I pray that we might get rid of league tables and positions and, you know, who's best and who's not and who's bottom and who's middle and who's in the playoffs. Because <laughs> it means diddly squat, which in Hebrew means absolutely nothing. <laughs> and what's been quite refreshing over this COVID time is because we didn't, most of us didn't have services for like 30, 40 weeks. Like, no longer could you post a picture. <laughs> no, no longer could like pastors post pictures from the back of the auditorium. <laughs> like, showing how big the, the Zoom was. <laughs> or how many people were on the Insta Live. Because like, it was irrelevant. And what I think has been kind of healthy is like, nobody knows really now how big a church is or how small a church is or how wealthy it is or how successful it is or whatever how metrics people measure certain things like it's almost like that has become irrelevant and what has become important is the community that you are building and the people that you are helping and the love that you are displaying and the church of the book of acts ultimately that we want to become now there's no wrong nothing wrong to show a room full of people because it's sometimes encouraging to the church oh thank god the house is full Thank God there's people who desire to be in the church. Thank God that there is growth. Thank God that, you know, this room is packed out and there's, there's a desire for people to be in the house of God. But that doesn't become the egotistical thing of who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. And as he says to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler who's loaded comes to Jesus and says, like, oh, what is, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? Because I'm, I'm kind of up for it if I can. Like, I've got plenty of cash and I've got plenty of cars, but I don't yet have the ticket to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus basically says to him, well, go sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. The response from the young ruler is, ah. And the Bible says he went away sad. He went away sad. Why? Because ultimately he didn't want to change and become what had made him materialistically successful. What had made him financially successful. He didn't want to have to get rid of all of that. And so the Bible says, Jesus says, he went away sad and disappointed because he didn't have the answer from Jesus that he wanted. Because many of us like change when it's free. Did you hear that? (laughs) Many of us like change when it's free, but we don't like change when there is a cost to the change. And so we're all up for change when it's free. Yeah, it's free. It's not going to cost me anything. Bring it on. (laughs) But when the change requires 
another service. Because now I'm going to have to serve or now I'm going to have to get here a little bit early. Or there's other things in life that you have personally that, you know, there's change. We love the change when it's free, but we struggle with change when there is a cost. In all aspects of life, when we change things, there is often a cost attached to that change. And for the rich young ruler, the cost was too much to change and become who Christ was calling him to become. And so he left and remained financially wealthy, but maybe spiritually poor. You see, what Jesus often majors on through the Gospels, through what he speaks, he really emphasized, and we don't often emphasize this much in the modern church, in terms of like the Western to 2022, 2020, 2022 church. <laughs> we don't often major on the cost of following Jesus. It's not a popular message. <laughs> it's not really the things like, woo, woo, run around the circle. Because there's a cost to it. It is costly. But yet Jesus, the conversations he has time after time, are, oh, you want to follow me? That's fine. <laughs> But you need to know the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's basically saying, you can come follow me, but we're not going to be staying in any five-star hotels. And I can't guarantee finances. And I can't guarantee this, this and that. But you know what? What I can guarantee is, is, is an adventure and a life close to God and an opportunity to help people and build the kingdom and you to fulfill your potential and your purpose and your God-given gifts. I can offer you that. Ugh. It's the cost of following Jesus. Because the simple fact is, sometimes we want to follow Jesus and still stay where we are. And Jesus is like, well, you can follow me, but you can't stay where you are. If you want to follow me, guess what fellowship means? Movement. (laughs) Leaving your nets, the Bible says, and following Christ. Leaving what was beneficial and leaving what was ultimately his career, what he was familiar with, and following Jesus, not knowing where he was going. You've got to change certain things and become certain things to fulfill certain things. And so when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, is this a bit too deep? Seems a bit quiet in here. Is that, is that a sign that you're listening? You disagree? Or that you're just on Instagram, Ed? <laughs> or you're just loving your QR code? I've seen you with your iPad. Jesus has a conversation with the woman at the well. And the woman at the well is there and he's basically saying, yeah, like, you, let's just, we need to change the route of your identity because you're thirsting for a lot of men but really you need to thirst for the living water and until you can change that it's not going to change your relationship structures he calls Zacchaeus from a tree and says yeah I'll have dinner with you Zacchaeus of course come down in fact we'll have a conversation because I know you want to change certain things but until you give back what you've stolen it's going to be very hard for you to enter into the new Zacchaeus that I've called you to be. You have to change and become. Because he's basically saying, this isn't just a hobby. This is a call to surrender. 
It's not just like our Christian faith isn't just a hobby. And I know we come on a Sunday at 11 o'clock and leave at 12.30. And for many of us, we, that's our routine, like going to play squash. And it's a good habit. And it's a good thing to do. The Bible says don't give up doing that. But our Christian faith has got to be more than simply where we turn up once a week as a hobby and leave. Ultimately, it's a call to surrender our lives at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm all yours. And so it got me thinking, got me thinking, what areas in my life, personally for me, do I need to change and become? Other than my fashion sense and my taste in music, what other areas, significant areas in my life, do I feel I need to change and become? And the reason I asked myself that question is because when you hear a message like this, sometimes you're thinking about the person you're sat with. And we think about what they need to change. And we think what they need to become. Or we think what that church needs to change or what that church needs to become or what that couple or that family or that child needs to change and become. But I need to ask myself, what do I need to change and become? Because firstly, it's all about self-awareness. The self-awareness, I need to be aware of things in my life where I need to change and become. And so where do I need to change? Or more precisely, what areas do I feel God asking me or calling me or leading me to change. Because how many of you know God is gracious and God is compassionate. And sometimes God will grab you by the ear. The Bible says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes God will make you do certain things. And he'll use various situations to make you do that. But in my usual experience with God, God is a God who guides us and leads us and is compassionate. And sometimes will leave us in a stubborn place for a long time. And so I need to ask myself, God, where am I asking you? Where do I feel you asking and calling or leading me to change? Because often we feel pressurized to change by people. How many of you people have ever feel pressurized to change? And I hope in this church you never feel pressurized to change. We don't want you to be under pressure by us, by me, or by our leaders to change, or by our church community, or by our church culture. We believe change ultimately comes in the fellowship of Christ. And as you follow Christ, we want you to change But you will still be loved if you never change. You will still be accepted if you never change. You can still belong if you never change. You can still be included if you never change. Why? Because that change is ultimately between you and Christ. And we think that is the best thing you can do to change and become. But we never want you to feel under pressure by humanity to change. Because sometimes we get pressurized to change. And as a dad with four kids, like Ab said, I can sometimes find myself trying to get my kids to change before it's time for them to change. I'm trying to get them to be smarter or quicker or more cleverer than they maybe are at that point. And I need to realize I can't rush this. But I need to be gracious and compassionate in their changing. We sometimes feel pressurized to be changed by people to become like them. But our aim is not to become like them. My aim is not to become like you. My aim is to become like Christ. 
And so don't look at me and go, I need to become like Dave. No, you don't need to become like me. You need to become like Christ. Sure, you can follow me as I follow Christ, but I don't want you to become me and I don't want to become you. We need to become like Christ. And so don't be under pressure to become like somebody else. Don't feel under pressure to buy the same handbag that that person has or wear the same shoes or because everyone raises their hands like this I've got to raise my hands like this no you don't need to be under pressure to worship in a certain way or respond in a certain way or carry your Bible under you because that's how everyone at Life Church leads carries their Bible everyone's in a life group I better get in a life group no you don't have to be in a life group we think life groups are fantastic we think they are awesome but if you don't want to be in a life group for the rest of your life thumbs up all good I think it's better for you to be in one, but we're not going to change you and pressurize you and hunt you down and knock on your door. You be you. <laughs> and feel free to be you as you follow Christ. Oh, good Luke. So last week, we emphasized the grace for change. There is grace in your changing. I love that with Christ. Simon Peter made mistake after mistake, chopped off ears and swore and was issues after issues, but there was always grace for his change. Jesus always extends grace in your changing. And I believe that grace will be extended to you because grace doesn't expose you. Grace covers you. Adam and Eve in the garden exposed but yet grace covers them grace doesn't expose and the first area I think we can all change in is what I'd call heart change there's a real interesting verse in the book of Samuel 1 um, 1 Samuel 10 verse 6 look what it says here in 1 Samuel 10 verse 6 the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you'll prophesy with them and you'll be changed into a different person you'll be changed into a different person as Saul turned to leave Samuel God changed Saul's heart God changed Saul's heart notice it was Saul's heart was changed and notice it was God who changed it see I can try and change my heart on my own or I can pray God by the power of your Holy Spirit change my heart because if there is bitterness if there is resentment if there is anger if there is jealousy, if there is comparison, if there is judgment, if there is prejudice in your heart, guess what? I truly believe God can change it. But you have to invite the change. And as you invite God to change you, you then have to walk out that change, which basically means practicing a new way. Invite the change and then walk out that change because the Bible says Saul ultimately reverted back Saul was changed in his heart but we know reverted back to bad ways and we can all revert back at times that's why the Bible says guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life and Samuel as a result of that finds David and what does the Bible say David was a man after God's own heart what areas in your heart do you want to change And you know how you can see the health of someone's heart sometimes? How someone speaks about others. That's often how you can see the health of someone's heart, how they speak about others. 
And so I believe there can be heart change. I believe there can be mind change. Change your mind. We're always changing our mind in the decisions that we make all the time. But can we change our mind? Can we change the perspective that we have? Maybe we are narrow-minded. Maybe we are small-minded. Maybe we are cynically-minded. Maybe we are negatively-minded. The Bible says in Romans 12 verse 2, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but what be transformed. Be changed by the changing, by the renewing, by the refreshing of your mind. And I'm not going to become some positive thought preacher But you can't deny the power of a changed, healthy mindset and the impact it has on your everyday. And it starts with submitting your mind to Christ, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And so I want to change and become. And I think corporately in our heart and our mind, we can change corporately. Are we in agreement? We can all change in our hearts and we can all change in our minds. For me personally, and I was chatting with Ab's, on this and she has a list of things I could change and I didn't think it was appropriate for me to list them all there's being vulnerable and then there's being stupid but I think for me personally how this message hits home for me personally I think I need to change aspects of me where I sometimes can be ye of little faith and I think I can become more faith filled I love being around faith people. I love being around people who, you know what, and and they can be annoying sometimes, faith people. Don't you find faith people sometimes annoying, Shammah? You can be annoying sometimes. (laughs) In a great way. Because you lift my perspective and you take me from being ye of little faith to, you know what, God can move this mountain and God can do the impossible. And God can do what you think was never possible. And God can do that. And God can. I love being around those people because I can see the obstacles. But sometimes faith people see the opportunities. And I want to be a person who sees the opportunities ahead. I'd like to change that in me. Rather than just seeing obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Get around faith people who can help you become not ye of little faith, but ye of bigger faith. I personally want to change some of my habits. Anybody with me on that? How many of you in lockdown developed some habits that you were like, wow, I find myself eating a massive bag of sensation crisps every single night. (laughs) I got addicted to onion rings until Ab said my breath stank in bed and so I stopped eating onion rings. It's like you were just in your house all day and you'd find yourself, I've watched Netflix, there's nothing else on Netflix to watch. So you just sit Pringles once you pop. It's true, Peggy. (laughs) Barbecue, they get you. Habits that, let's be honest, all of us, I think, could change. I want to lose some unproductive habits. And I want to become more productive with some of my habits. I need to read more. I want to pray more. I want to be more diligent in certain things. So there are habits personally that I feel I need to change and become. And if I'm honest, there's a whole lot of other things which will remain between me and God. So I need to ask myself, 
What do I need to remove so that I can change in those areas? What are the stumbling blocks? For the disciples in Matthew chapter 18, it was pride. It was sheer pride. Just this sense of what we are about is more important than anything. What I'm about is more important than anything. That is prideful. Why should I change when there are way worse people than me? Way people who are way more overweight than me, way more worse than me, way more, way more. And you compare and you go, I don't need to change. They need to change. No, all of us can change and become. Lose the sense of pride. Pride is a blind spot and often dresses itself up in a, but what I do is so important. That it's more important than any of my weaknesses. Pride, you have to remove the obstacle of pride. You have to remove the obstacle of what I call ill-discipline. Ill-discipline is just this inability to remain consistent and focused. And there's ways you can do that, I'm sure. And maybe we can help you with some of those things. Accountability. You need some accountability in your changing. Hey, would you, would you stay with me on this? Would, would you help me when there's aspects in my heart that comes out which is not necessarily pleasant or not necessarily good or not necessarily godly? Could, could you help me in those areas? If I say something about others which is not pure and not godly and not Christ-like, can you tell me? Because I want to change and become rather than just letting it fester and fester and fester and go on. Sometimes we have blind spots. We just don't see it. Maybe there's prejudice in some of our hearts. You need to be called to account on some of that and go, no, 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 we don't, we don't think like that. We don't say that. And the fruit of that is a root of that. And let's talk about that and let's have some accountability. I'm not casting you aside, but the only way we're going to progress is through honest conversation. You need some accountability. And here's the greatest motivator for change as I close. You're created by God. You are chosen by God. You've been called by God. This isn't just change for us to look better, look sharp and look fitter and healthier. This is kingdom cause change. This is change for kingdom cause. What does it say in 1 Timothy 4 verse 8? I close with this. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. What is Paul saying to Timothy? You can change certain aspects of your life. Thumbs up, good. Keep doing those things. They're really beneficial. But the biggest change happens inside of you. And it is about your walk with God. It is about how you follow Jesus. It is about how you desire to be like him. And our greatest pursuit, our greatest mission is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. That is our greatest pursuit, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And he walks with you. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't judge you, but he holds you by the hand and he says, come on, come on, walk with me. Walk with me, Simon. Walk with me, Matthew. Walk with me, you guys. Walk with me, disciples. Walk with me, church. And we are going to change and become all that God has called us to be for kingdom's cause in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. We've got to close.